I'm Megan Bobcat, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of DC Comics. And I'm Chris Newton, spelled G-N-U-T-O-N, and I'm here to help with the aid of the comic book that got all comic books banned from my elementary school. This is the next comic book fauna, <gasps> a Zoo Crew podcast for all you Marcors trying to climb the proverbial hill of understanding DC Comics. And dedicated fan bonobos looking for a reason to Marcor out again. In this bonus episode, I'm going to give Bob a bird's eye view of the DC Universe by introducing them to Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, the parody superhero comic with more DC tropes per page than an issue of Who's Who, yet sweetened by enough animal puns to keep Bob from gagging on the bitter taste of continuity. Uh, Megan Bobcat, can you give me your spontaneous reaction to this? And don't say anything yet, it is scripted. <laughs> this is going to be even more fun than an episode of my other podcast, Hard Chihuahuas. <laughs> welcome to my bonus episode the next comic book fauna uh over the first five episodes as co-host of the next wrestling fan i scored a five count of consecutive episodes in which bob failed to guess the next big thing and thank god because as my reward I get this, a comic book bonus episode about the beloved but obscure 1980s DC comic, Captain Carrot and His Amazing Zoo Crew. Before we talk about exactly what Captain Carrot and His Amazing Zoo Crew, or has, as fans know it, uh, exactly what it is, um, I want to get your fresh eyes reaction to this, Bob. I had you read some Zoo Crew. What was your overall impression of the series? I was charmed once it was referencing stuff that I understood. Like at that point I was like, Oh, I'm in love with you. Like I, you're special <laughs> to me. You're, you're speaking to me and only me, you know, a person who knows three things. Whenever I first encountered it, I was sort of like, yeah, we know origin stories are tedious. <laughs> and I'm just going, I, what are you trying what? Why are you yelling at me about a thing I already know? Leave me alone. But then, <laughs> then it started like it started winking at me, and I was like, oh, "Are you me? You're talking to me?" That is beautiful. That is the the greatest of all love stories. I will, I will hold that in my heart forever. H a r t heart. Um, <laughs> th- I'm not going to do the pun thing throughout. Don't worry. But uh, no, you know what? Captain Carrot and his Amazing Zoo crew is very special to me as well. It, it is an early days comic for me. And uh, let me give you a little context about it. Here, let me just uh, casually segue into something that's scripted. You won't even know the difference. Quick rundown of what Zoo crew is and context. <laughs> Captain Carrot and his Amazing Zoo crew, stylized with an exclamation mark at the end of the title, is a DC comic book that ran from 1982 to 1983. It is the brainchild of Scott Shaw, also stylized with an exclamation mark, and Roy Thomas, about whom more later. It was a definite oddity even at the time it debuted. Uh, To give some context, it showed up in 1982. In 1982, DC's top comic book was New Teen Titans, which at this point, like the the era of the rando caveman was long past. Mm. We were doing like stories about cults about murders 
Raven was around. So we have like the anti-hero with the demon soul. This is that era. And in fact, it was in New Teen Titans that Captain Carrot debuted in a special preview insert uh, in New Teen Titans. And in this story, Superman, investigating reports of people reverting to ape-like behavior all over the world, used a meteor to burst through a mysterious space-time barrier that he thought was related to these ape events i don't, I don't know how else does <laughs> i have no i have no no but there's no precedent for this ape events uh the meteor burst and crashed in multiple pieces across the globe but not the globe superman had left because when he went out to check it out he found a parallel world filled with funny animals and so superman met captain carrot and at this point the no doubt stunned new teen titans reader was directed to go pick up the first issue of captain carrot and his amazing zoo crew to read the rest of the story. This was, I don't even want to say an anachronistic comic book. It was a parallel timeline comic book, appropriately enough. (laughs) Um, What if comics were real fucking goofy? Captain Carrot and His Amazing Zoo Crew was a parody series in a sense, but it was also a straight-ahead, light-hearted, funny animal comic, which weren't really around at the time, certainly not from DC. Uh, It didn't feature parodies of existing DC characters much, uh, nor was it pointedly fourth wall breaking the way you would see later with like ambush bug Deadpool. Instead, it was something of a pastiche of superhero comics, uh, a mirror image of the trend of mature stories that we're seeing like, OK, the superhero format has logical consequences that we can explore mm, for drama. Yeah, this was going the other direction of like superhero comics are goofy and we now have readers who can recognize that. So let's acknowledge how goofy they are and be more cartoony, more silly less self-serious. The series only lasted for 20 issues, uh, and then there was an immediate follow-up with the Oz Wonderland War miniseries. After that, the zoo crew was dormant for a long time. However, the characters were never forgotten and started to show up again in dimension-hopping DC stories in 2006, over two decades after their series was canceled, uh, which is, you know, an impressive time span. I mean, granted, comic book fans never forget anything, (laughs) but (laughs) even so, I think, you know, Zoo Crew was more remembered than its short run would would warrant. Uh, And part of the reason might be the same reason that I have chosen to talk about them today. While the original Zoo Crew comics are goofy, light and accessible reading, they're also steeped in the tropes of superhero comics, DC Comics in particular. Chris, I'm such a moron. I just had the thought... I wonder if there's a podcast about this I could listen to. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Megan Bobcat, visitor from the future. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the characters are goofy, but they're pitched to people who are super into comic books. And as such, if you read the stories and like get the jokes, you are taking a, a like a crash course. You're taking an, an eventful short tour through all of the oddities of the DC universe. So what I decided to do was take you right through the series. We're not going to do any complicated breakdowns, nothing like that. But we are going to talk about these characters. We're going to talk about this series. And we're going to cover so, so many superhero tropes in such a short period of time. Uh, And in fact, to make sure the listener doesn't miss any, I'm going to put a zoo animal sound of (gasps) Bob's choice. Yeah into the edit whenever we talk about a new superhero trope. Bob, please choose a zoo animal. Um, it needs to be, because this is going to be 
a lot of noise. So it needs to be a gentle sound. It can't be like a terrible sound. That's probably going to be a bird of some kind. Let's say one of those like birds with kind of a liquidy warble. One of them. Hmm. You know, like whenever you're you, one of your finer quality zoos where you get some birds of paradise and you're like, these shouldn't be here. <laughs> Number one is very depressing. Number two. uh, OK, it's your choice. I will do the liquidy warble if you want. I do. I am concerned that listeners might miss it because there are bird sounds around them sometimes when they're listening. Oh, what if what if mm-hmm. if you want a bird? What if we go about a bird that's in the series? What if we do a quack? Like a duck. Okay. Oh, like a... Oh. Well, you said quack, but I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? Until you <laughs> reminded me about the existence of ducks. <laughs> no, I also... I know that you did that probably because you have a child. <laughs> and you're like, okay, no, we're going to connect concepts. <laughs> you know what? Yes, I am. I am pro... Although, what the fuck zoo are you at that's like, they're going from the exotic land of your backyard, this fucking duck. Why not Why not have a duck? You got all these animals. Why not have a duck? You can, I mean, you can have I, look, a I was the, fucking bird of paradise pond no. for the kids to throw bread in when they shouldn't? <laughs> no, you have a duck pond. Dublin Zoo had a cow for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it was just there for people to pet. I think it must have been the petting zoo area. Okay, yes, a a duck would be just fine. Um, please, a gentler quack, I implore you, because I only picked up on some of the tropes, buddy. There's a lot of them. Okay, a gentle quack, so as not to confuse, alarm, and annoy the listeners. Just a gentle. We'll insert it here so they'll know what to expect. Yeah. So so nobody will miss anything. Here's how we're gonna do this. First, we're gonna talk about the characters who connect to lots of superhero tropes on their own. At first, I, at my initial thought was, let's start with the first issue. But if we just went into the first issue and covered every single trope in that issue, there are like, I don't know, 30 of them. Yeah. First, let's talk about the characters. Then we'll just talk in in general terms about the stories over the course of the series, hit those tropes. And by the end of this, you're going to know everything about the DC universe. Fuck yeah. And you'll be all ready for our ambush bug bonus episode. Uh, that's where we really get to the hard stuff. <laughs> is this like taking an SAT prep course? This is like whenever you failed your math class. Mm-hmm. And so over the summer, you have to take the same math class, but in like three weeks. Yeah. I don't know when you failed comic books, but don't worry. You're not going to graduate late. <laughs> Captain Carrot is here. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to do some tropes from the series. Then we're going to wrap up with Earthsea versions of our familiar segments, including the sights, sounds, and feels of Earthsea. And... Of course, our Lawrence Bolivier Award for Outstanding Animal Pun. Mm. Uh, With all that said, let's very appropriately leap into the characters of the zoo crew with their leader, Captain Carrot. Uh, The first character introduced, Captain Carrot, leader of the zoo crew, many, many tropes. But let me start by asking you, Bob, what did you think about Captain Carrot? I like that he was a smart aleck to Superman immediately. Like that that's Mm. his introduction is just like, who the fuck are you? And, like, what a fun thing for the DC universe to go, like, yeah, yeah, fuck this guy. (laughs) He thinks he's so great. When we talk about, like, uh, issue one, we'll definitely talk about that. But, yeah, the fact that they use Superman to introduce this team 
And instead of, because like clearly, you know, in 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 pro wrestling terms, it's like we're bringing in Superman here. We're introducing these new characters, and yeah. Superman's gonna like, you know, gonna like put over these characters to to the crowd. Yeah, and like yeah. Get everybody to think, oh, Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, they're legit. And truly, he like he's talking to this funny animal, this bunny, and this bunny is just like, what the fuck, man? Like, wh-? so he literally calls Superman patronizing, which I don't think I've ever seen <laughs> up to this era of DC Comics. Yeah, Captain Carrot, an amazing character. Uh, secret identity, Rodney Rabbit. Mm, um, not originally, well, apparently. Roger Rodney Rabbit, but later they change it to our Rodney Rabbit. And then just Rodney Rabbit because he was, you know, who framed Roger Rabbit was a big deal. Captain Carrot, many, many tropes to cover here. Number one, origin stories. <laughs> Superheroes have origin stories. One of the ways they're different from wrestlers. Like, yeah. you know, occasionally there's a wrestler with a very storied history and we learn something about like where they came from. But generally speaking, it's like gimmick first and that's just who they are. With superheroes, there's always a story and the story is kind of integral to the character in many cases. Here, the origin story is when Superman pushed that meteor through the space barrier back in the insert in New Teen Titans, it split into fragments and they landed all over the place. And each of the members of the of the zoo crew, the meteor fragment that interacted with them interacted in a different way. So in Captain Carrot's case, it landed in his window box yeah. where he grows carrots. And so he doesn't have inherent superpowers. He has to eat those those special carrots. And then he gets a temporary, like for 24 hours or whatever, he is Captain Carrot. Yeah. And so he gets all buff. And Rodney Rabbit, our Rodney Rabbit, mm-hmm. is a comic book artist. So they get to do lots of great stuff about like, you know, comics creators making fun of comics creators yeah. through Rodney Rabbit. <laughs> Trope number two, secret identities. <laughs> From time to time, his job is threatened. His life is threatened by like secretly being Captain Carrot. More than that, though, just like the fucking haggard look on this bunny. Mm-hmm. This like stooped shoulders just this frazzled expression this is an overworked underpaid under motivated bunny you can really feel the artists pouring everything into like <laughs> this is my only chance to show the world how i feel oh and it's wonderful it's great uh secret identities are great and they give you a chance to like okay it's it's wish fulfillment but also you know Part of that, like the the Clark Kent Superman dichotomy is we get to see the wish fulfillment, but also we get to see Clark Kent being shit on all day mm-hmm. and being like, if, if they only knew I was special. <laughs> the Superman analogy is not uh, an accident. Captain Carrot is the most Superman-like of the members of the zoo crew because he has, trope alert, quack, quack, <laughs> the standard superhero garb and powers. <laughs> uh, he has the cape. He has the symbol on his chest. He has the underwear on the outside. He's got the boots. He can't exactly fly, but he can jump real high. He's fast and strong in a kind of generic manner. Yeah. That's the standard superhero package. Generally, when somebody makes a standard superhero, they have the whole Superman package. And this is surprisingly popular in comic books. Like, there are lots of characters still around who have, like, the basic Superman costume and the basic Superman powers. Chris, which superhero costume, if you had to like out there now and you were like, I have to do some superheroing Mm -hmm. and people are going to, you know, associate this with me. You can't avoid it. You can't cryptid your way through it. Mm -hmm. What are you going to pick? Whose look are you stealing? Do I get to choose my powers? Sure. Well, that brings us to another trope. (laughs) 
It's the temporary transformation hero because I would be the original fucking Captain Marvel. That's the best power suite. And you get to physically transform. So it's a badass costume, right? You got the little like the button up thing with the flap and everything on the chest. Mm. You got the cool cape. You got the presumably I get the little squinty eyes, right? Because it's a physical transformation. Captain Marvel is fantastic. It's the fucking best. And you get to get struck by that lightning whenever you go into your superhero mode. Mm. Just like how Captain Carrot, it's not as cool as lightning, but he is one of those heroes in a, in a great DC tradition of superheroes who have to do a thing to become a superhero yes. and then it's temporary and they go back into their other mode. So like Captain Marvel has to say Shazam, something I frequently try just in case. He, he has to say Shazam uh, and then he becomes, you know, Captain Marvel. Uh, likewise, Our Man, Golden Age hero, oh. took his Miracolo, gained superpowers for one hour. Uh, Firestorm, two different people had to fuse together to become a superhero. Uh, Green Lantern, you have to charge the the power ring at the battery. You get powers for 24 hours. Dial H for Hero. Yeah. I think that's a one-hour time limit. You know the Dial H kids? Yeah. This must be a tighten up the defense yeah, thing, Yeah, you know, right? I, I'm familiar with a lot of weird shit. Yeah, um, they're great. And yeah, you get that for one hour. Grand superhero tradition and, and Captain Carrot is in it. And if you get to physically transform, then you get to pick the cool costume of Captain Marvel because if you don't get to physically transform and you try to dress up in that costume, what do you look like? We have canonical evidence for this. You look like Uncle Dudley. Mm. Hero number two from the Zoo Crew, Pig Iron. Tell me all your thoughts on Pig Iron. That name just rubs me the wrong way. It's, hmm, it's how a, so? I don't know. I don't. It's like everything in my brain is like, it should be Iron Pig. What the fuck? Why would you? Why would you <laughs> put it? This makes my brain unhappy. Well, this isn't a thing I thought that I would be explaining on the podcast maybe i was not man enough to prepare to mansplain to this degree but to quote from the international iron metallics association pig iron is the product of smelting iron ore with a high carbon fuel and reductant such as coke usually with limestone as a flux do you know what any of those words mean uh i know what pig means <laughs> <laughs> no sorry still bothers me yeah, so pig iron is a thing. That's why. Okay. Well, disapprove of that too. All right. Any other thoughts on pig iron or just bothered by the name? I he's obviously the himbo of the team. Mm -hmm. Um, I like that he's got little orc tusks. That's cute. Kind of a fan of the Frankenstein bolt. I every time I always assume that you're asking me like what are the pros and cons of like whenever I'm looking at the dating profile and making my swipe decision, <laughs> every time I'm like, I assume that's what you're asking me, Chris. I don't know what else I, you'd be asking I, me. I would be disappointed if we didn't get there. You're welcome to give your other thoughts on the way. But ultimately, um, I am looking for a smasher pass. Yeah. Eh, you know, it low on the list, but I don't. he doesn't do anything for me. Like, not, not even, like, just as a character, he doesn't do a lot for me because I'm like, oh... The kind of high durability one. You go, okay, there you go. Very much so. You recognize that. Trope. <laughs> the bruiser. This is the member of the team who's got like the big strength, invulnerability, toughness powers, uh, but not a lot else. And so yeah. they're just kind of stuck in that power role. That's a very classic superhero team member role, such that characters who don't really fit it sometimes gradually grow to fit it. 
the way that, um, for example, Cyborg did in the Teen Titans yeah. cartoons later, where it's like he becomes the bruiser because like the team needs one. This is another classic type. Uh, the Thing is probably the best known example of this. And in fact, distinct from the bruiser, the Ben Grimm type. <gasps> quack, quack. Uh, the Ben Grimm type, this is like the plain spoken, like every man, like, hey, use guys better, whatever. Uh, like he, that guy. He is the hey, use guys guy. Yes, exactly. Many, many superhero teams have that guy. It's more common, I would say, on teams than it is for like a solo hero. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, no, no, I don't know. Hey, use guys, the series. I don't think I'm ready for that. <laughs> yeah, you want that guy in the team. Uh, so that it's useful for writers so that somebody else can explain like whatever high concept plot bullshit is happening. Yes. And then this guy over in the corner smoking a cigar can be like, so you're telling me and then you can say it in plain language. Yes. So, yeah, that's that's a couple of tropes already. The bruiser, the Ben Grimm type. Also, DC's funny animals play a big role in this series. DC had a whole line of funny animal comics that were long gone by this point. And they come back in this <gasps> series, including Peter Porkchops. <laughs> which is what uh, Pig Iron originally, that, that's who he was before he became Pig Iron. In his origin story, a meteorite fell into a big vat at like the steel foundry or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so like he fell into it along with the meteor and he turned into Pig Iron. Before that, he was mild-mannered Peter Porkchops, who was an existing funny animal character from DC. I don't super like it whenever they take an animal character. And like, it's funny if it's a... Okay, so there was a horse that I rode one time called Alpo, because obviously brand of dog food, like hilarious. Uh -huh. But if you do that to a sentient character, <laughs> oh, like see. Chris Longpig, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that's mm. no, I, I get you, Chris Soylent Green. There is a real question as to how you end up with the surname Pork Chops in this world. Yeah, are you? A I will give you that scab now. Actually, this does come up later in the series, not the surname specifically, but like the history, because the wolf who used to always try to eat Peter Porkchops mm -hmm. in like the funny animal comics does show up later. Um, <gasps> they get back together. And he's, well, he's going to the, the wolf is going to a, a therapist <gasps> and is like admitting to the therapist like, yeah, like when I first met that little pig, I wanted to eat that fucking pig, which is not something you admit to in this world. Um, <laughs> not unless you're brave like that fucking wolf. Yeah, yeah, true. That that wolf was a hero, and I would not have blamed him if he had eaten like a couple of fingers from his neighbor. <laughs> the thing is, though, the wolf, because of this like talisman that he has, becomes the was wolf, <gasps> which is a wolf who turns into a human and eats animals at night. Oh, no. It's okay. He's fine. Peter Porkchops is fine. Okay. Yeah, so anyway, all those funny animals. The wolf, uh, whose name is A Wolf, by the way. Nah. Yeah, uh, Dunbar, Dodo, all like all the old funny animal characters from DC come back in this series in various roles. How old are the DC funny animal comics? Like, are those from the 60s? <laughs> those are from like probably the 40s. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's an interesting case of like very old characters, very far from what DC is doing nowadays, being brought back into continuity as like the pre-superhero history of this new superhero funny animal world. Really interesting stuff. It has a lot to do with the creator of the series, which is something we'll talk about later. But we've got one more trope to do before we move on from Pig Iron. <laughs> Permanent transformation characters. The Thing, the Beast, the Hulk, Cyborg, Changeling, Swamp Thing. Superheroes whose origin story 
permanently transforms them so they no longer have like a normal physical human form. This is, again, very common on team books because it gives a different superhero experience to contrast against the others. Mm -hmm. Pig Iron is that guy here. You know, Captain Carrot is Captain Carrot sometimes. Pig Iron is just Pig Iron, and he looks different from a regular pig. A very different situation from anybody else on the team. Oh, man. You could have just gotten me the masks, like, here's the character sheet, and just gone through that. And gone, okay, look, you check all, all the little things. Yeah, yeah, they hit a lot of them here. Ali Catabra. Bob, please tell me your thoughts about Ali Catabra, knowing that if you insult her, you become my enemy. Well, I mean, I assumed that she's your girlfriend. That's true. Yeah. Um, she actually approached you. Um, like you didn't even approach her. Like she saw you across the room and was like, meow. Um, Via magical vibes, yes. Yes. Not not in a verbal way, but clearly magic wanda, her magic wand was involved. Yes. Uh, because it felt like magic. <laughs> her eyes are a little creepy (laughs) okay watch yourself (laughs) she's got big titties for a cat it's true (laughs) um i like that she's kind of not really interested in anybody's shit particularly like she's just not there for any particular drama looked at she just seems like the one who's good at things and is therefore a little bit overburdened by being the good at things one. Oh, yeah. She's, I mean, she's phenomenal. She's a martial arts teacher. Yes. Who also dabbles in mysticism. Mm-hmm. The meteorite hit her magic wand, which she calls Magic Wanda, and her and like landed in her little, uh, you know, cauldron or whatever while she was doing her magic practice. And therefore, she got real magical powers. Uh, she is therefore a magical character in dc comics there's no consistency of the way magic works it's different for every fucking person who learns magic in ali cadaver's case she often focuses her magic by coming up with rhymes yep um in the same way that like zatanna speaks backward yeah or like dr strange has his like stock phrases where he does like these invocations Mm. everybody all magic characters have their own magic system just devoted to them that's gotta feel really good though yeah yeah i think so yeah, you have your own, like, distinctive way to cast magic. Uh, it must be frustrating sometimes for, like, Zatanna. Zatanna had to learn to say everything backward, and nobody else does. Yeah. But, yeah, it's cool. And the nice thing about magic in comic books is that magic can just do whatever the fuck. It's a two-edged sword, though, because it often comes up in Zoo Crew that Ali Cadaver can kind of do anything with magic, but also sometimes she tries to do something with her wand, and it's just like, uh-uh. And it's, and she's just like, I don't know what the fuck, but like the magic magic doesn't do this. Sorry. I like that. And nobody knows why, because magic works differently for every single person. So, yeah, I, I think that's that's the most common way, especially in team books for magical characters to be used. Yeah. Where it's like it can do whatever the plot requires them to do and nothing else. There was a time in the Defenders, I guess, where Steve just wasn't allowed to like teleport people. Because it was too dangerous mm-hmm. for the universe. And then, like, I think two books later, like, that was over. He was like, I guess it's fine now. It's probably, <laughs> I mean, it was going to end the universe, but, like, also it would be so inconvenient to use public transportation for this. So, like, eh. 
oh, like that environmental consciousness episode of Star Trek where they realize, like, to avoid tearing apart space time, we should really keep it down to warp six. Mm. And then within a very short time, it's just like, oh, off screen, we bought some fucking warp carbon offsets. We're fine. <laughs> Actually, this brings us to our other trope for Ali Kadabra, ah. group transportation. She, one of her most ah. important roles, she is the designated group transportation because every team needs transportation. And, uh, Ali Cadaver can do that. She can teleport everybody wherever. She does it from her very first appearance. She does it all the time. It's occasionally mentioned, in fact, that like, am I ever going to do anything in a story except teleport everybody where we need to go? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is that is very much a comic book trope. O- oftentimes, and in fact, you'll see this later, characters with power rings like Green Lanterns. One of the main things they do in a team book is get people who don't fly into bubbles so everybody can fly somewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or... <laughs> If in high school you were the kid who had like a car with more than five seats. That's right. Yep. I was the kid with a minivan. Next character is Fastback. Timmy Joe Terrapin. <laughs> Terrapin. <laughs> yeah. Timmy That's Joe Terrapin. That's what the British say. From uh, Tallahatchie, Florida. Not Tallahassee, but Tallahatchie, you see, because they hatch from eggs. Yeah. That, uh, I see what you did there. Uh, you know what they also have in Florida? Tropes. <gasps> they have the speedster trope in a big way. Fastback. I don't know how familiar you are with like DC speedsters. Oh well, I know the Flash is a whole thing, and that his power is time in some ways. Because if you go fast enough, time isn't real. Yeah, your your physics for humanities majors course has served you well. Time is not real. And honestly, I think this comes out of like an era, which we'll talk about more later. But like there was a time in comic books when people started to ask science questions. Oh, no. (laughs) I know. Like now in retrospect, we can see it was a bad idea because of that. I think the speedsters really were affected by that because there's an immediate question, like even with high school physics, it's like, okay, well, what about the friction on his feet? Like what about relativistic effects? What about wind resistance? What about all this shit? And oh so my God. there was all this <laughs> stuff that got spun out. And so you end up with what you have here with uh, with Fastback in this comic where like they're always talking about centripetal force. He can, you know, make whirlwinds. He can vibrate his molecules to pass through solid objects. <gasps> there's time stuff. There's dimensional stuff. So he's like the classic DC speedster. I hate whenever somebody take has a magic system and then wants to explain it to me. I'm like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I could not give less of a fuck. So don't tell me how the- he goes fast and it's not a problem. That's how the thing works. It's like, if he can go that fast, do- why are we asking any other questions? He's already doing a thing that you shouldn't be able to do. Like, clearly none of it matters. It's fine. It's kind of the opposite of magic, how magic is different for every character. Super speed is the same for every goddamn character in DC, to the extent that they li- then later introduce the speed force as like a metaphysical explanation of why everybody's <laughs> speed powers work the same. Yes, I remember the speed force. I watched The Flash on CW. <laughs> Big. Big feelings about Gorilla Grodd. <laughs> yeah, who shows up in Zucro. <laughs> oh, what? Okay, other thing. is Speaking of the Flash, legacy characters, another trope. Ah. I don't know if you read an issue that had this. You could miss it. Did you notice? Yes. Timmy Joe's uncle, Uncle McSnurdle, was also the terrific What's It, who is 
a legacy superhero turtle character from DC's Golden Age. <laughs> the two characters were connected because, of course, they were. And so there's like a super speed legacy in this turtle family, which is super, super common in DC. Like sometimes it's families and sometimes not. But like the Flash, like so many people have been the Flash. The Green yeah. Lanterns, a whole core. Uh, Hawkman. There has been a Hawkman core, and in addition, there's a whole lineage of Hawkman. Wait, um, don't we hate Hawkman? Hawkman is a continuity problem. I thought he was just a dickhead. Well, yes. I mean, that too. He is like, he's extra yeah, strength Hal Jordan in the ah. JLA's political dynamic. Ah, no, fuck this. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on through the roster of the team. Uh, the next one is Yankee Poodle. Ha! <laughs> Do you know the reference with her name, Rova Barkett? No, I don't. I so, felt like I should, though. Yes, she and Rubber Duck are both based on real people who were contemporary celebrities. <gasps> Rona Barrett was a real-life celebrity interviewer, gossip <gasps> Does columnist. Does she have floofy hair? Like a poodle? I'm so glad that you asked. I will send you a picture. Okay, so that is Human Yankee Poodle. Oh my god. Yankee Poodle looks so much like her. <laughs> That's freaky. <laughs> like even I don't know, even like that like little like neck and shoulders is very the way that she is. And that hair is amazing. That's some poodly ass hair. Yes, very interesting choice to have two characters and only two characters on the team be like takeoffs of real life people. But yes, she's based on gossip columnist uh, Rona Barrett. And Yankee Poodle, as you may have guessed, also involves us in some tropes. Uh, <gasps> if we look at the outline here, we will see that Yankee Poodle is involved in a, an intra-team rivalry, which is a classic team book yeah. trope. She's, she's got this like rivalry with Alley Cat Abra, sometimes over Captain Kara, but mostly because they just don't like each other. I mean, dogs and cats. Exactly. Yeah. See, it's like it's a little it's a little parody. It's a little, you know, they're doing the thing, but it's also a joke. That's that's Zuku up and down. <laughs> and yeah, every every team book needs to have the characters who are kind of always at each other's throats to various degrees. Every successful team, certainly, and almost every team period has had that dynamic. Well, who are the ones who fight a lot in the JLA? It depends on the iteration of the JLA. Le either it's going to be either like your left-leaning right-leaning characters like green arrow often takes the like leftist quote-unquote position on the jla um in other cases it'll be like batman and superman if you're if you're in area of comics where they're not getting along and kind of like represent <laughs> different versions of superheroism sometimes you'll have the asshole character later in zoo cruise run roy thomas the writer kind of came out and said he, he does not like yankee poodle Sometimes you'll have an asshole on the team. So like Hawkeye has often been that for the Avengers. U.S. agent has been that for the West Coast Avengers. Guy Gardner has been that for the Justice League. So yeah, sometimes it'll be the asshole versus like the good responsible leader or whatever. What's wrong with Yankee Poodle? I mean, she's not nice, but like. <laughs> I, don't I like know. her as a character. Yeah, I like her as a character, too. She's fun. Honestly, she's more memorable for me. Like there's more like on there than there is with. Ali Katabra in terms of like I, that she's cuter. I take your point. She's mm -hmm. a, like she's much sexier, Chris. But uh, okay, yeah. But I that's just, not all I have, that our relationship is about. But continue. Yeah, if somebody asked me to do an impression, 
and I had to pick between the two, like one of them would be much easier to do. Yeah, no, I see exactly what you mean. She, she, I think Yankee Poodle is a more distinctive character. And you'll notice she's the first one who's not like a character type. Like up to this point, every one of them has been fit very squarely into like, this is a type of DC hero that we see again and again. Yankee Poodle, not really. So, and maybe that's because she's based on a real person. But mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely take your point. And I think she's, she's a really strong presence on the team. Um, I, I like her a lot as a character. Although, you know, I, I would not want to spend a lot of time with her. Oh, God, no. Yankee Poodle is a kind of a team act a little bit with uh, another member uh, of the team, the the final member of the original team, Rubber Duck, uh, who is also a loose <laughs> parody of a real life person. Uh, he is Bird Rentals, obviously. Uh, uh, you know, I just um, got that now that you said it out loud. <laughs> they slipped it past you. Yeah, yeah. He's not even Harry. Or am I thinking of somebody else? I thought Bert Reynolds was Harry. Yeah, he is. In fact, they make a reference to this. I don't think in the same issue that has Gorilla Grodd, actually, Changeling shows up from the Teen Titans. Yeah. Shows up in this dimension and he turns into a mouse. But of course, he's like an Earth mouse and therefore like a naked mouse. Mm. And so people are scandalized. And um, there's a little thought bubble from Rubber Duck being like, I don't see what everybody's problem is. I did a centerfold just like that for, you know, Play (gasps) Duck or whatever. I almost bought a poster of like Burt Reynolds on a rug mm. at a secondhand shop. It was so powerful. And I I don't know what I was thinking when I walked away from that. What was I thinking? I, I know you well enough. That. I would have bought that and sent it to you. I know. What was man? Was I just having a moment? Maybe I was in a store alone. I think that's it. It's like I'm very bad at like buying things if I'm on my own. I'm like, mm. oh, why would I need that? I probably don't need anything. I should just leave the store. <laughs> Food? Um, who cares? I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but we're, we're not here to unpack that. We're here to unpack tropes, <laughs> quack, quack, <laughs> including uh, stretchy characters. Stretchy characters, long tradition in comics, if you see what I did there. They come from ah. like, uh, you know, obviously there's Plastic Man. Obviously, there's Elongated Man, Mr. Fantastic. Plastic Man's the sexiest one. I, I think you could make an argument for Elongated Man, but he, you've got to be the one for him. That's the thing. He's He is a romantic, but Plastic Man's certainly like the star of the show. I think he is the the most famous and the most kind of um, outlandish the mo- and the most, I don't want to say well-developed because Reed Richards has had tons of character development, but like the most iconic is Plastic Man. Um, but there are a million of them and they all have these kind of similar powers. Like they can stretch, they can take on different shapes. They can push themselves down into like a flat shape. They can like bounce all that stuff. Um, very visually dynamic, very hard to adapt into films. Yeah. I mean, in the JLA episode, Dan made the point that he thought plastic man was nightmarish and would be like, no, there's under, under no circumstances. Could I fuck that man? Because like, if he does anything Cronenbergian, it's over. Which I I take as a yeah, I think that would be really hard. But no, he's it, just so sad. There's a there's a sense in which it's beautiful that nature prevents somebody like Dan who doesn't deserve Plastic Man from getting him. <laughs> so yeah, it all works out. Just because he doesn't he doesn't get it, like he's not into Cronenbergian body horror. That's why Dan doesn't deserve plastic. Oh, oh I mean, listen, if you, I mean, look, not to pick a fight with the absent Dan Mulcairin, but just like if somebody said, "Hey, I'm interested in you. 
I've got this really fun personality, really interesting life, really cool job. I'm a really decent person. And by the way, I can take on any shape or appearance imaginable. Mm-hmm. And you were like, ooh, gross. Then <laughs> definitely both of you should walk away. That is the right choice. <laughs> um, it's fine if Dan doesn't want to have nightmares. Uh, you know, one man's nightmare. That's that's the, the moral <laughs> of the story. Um, the final member of the zoo crew albeit in an odd way, is Little Cheese. Little Cheese, yeah. a mouse, and uh, he can shrink, uh, which brings us to the first trope, shrinking characters. Mm. Um, Useless. No, God, no. No, no, what? no, 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 no. It's no. such a trash nothing power. Okay, let's take a character like uh, Ben Grimm okay. or a character like Colossus. Maybe Spider-Man can't punch him out. Right. Maybe the Punisher can't shoot holes in them. You know what they are are vulnerable to is somebody crawling into their ear and punching their brain. That is something a shrinking (laughs) character can do. I forgot that comics was that fucking stupid. Well, look, the ear canal is right there. It's I mean, that's not how brains work, Chris. I know you can't really go from the ear to the brain, but but although although this actually brings us... So there are two different versions of shrinking powers. Okay. In DC, what you usually get is the kind that Little Cheese has, which is where you maintain your full strength and sometimes mass mm-hmm. at your tiny size. Obviously, this creates a lot of irreconcilable physics problems. Eh. But if we're to understand this as like you can punch and you hit with the force in that tiny area as your full size strength would have, you can wreck a lot of shit in the human body. Yeah, okay. By doing that kind of damage internally. Yeah, there's a ton you can do. I mean, stealth, right? There are places Batman can't get into. Sometimes somebody like the Atom can get into them. Okay, I forgot that the Atom, because I do like Ray Palmer a lot. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah. There are all kinds of things you can do uh, with shrinking. It's it's a very versatile power. Not to mention, like, Ant-Man not only flying places and ants, but also like catapulting himself places. <gasps> tons and tons of applications. Anyway, uh, there are a couple of additional tropes here with Little Cheese. Trope number two, <laughs> roster edition. A speedy. Yeah, like speedy, the Fantastic Four even, even though they have four in the name. Who's the fifth one? The thing is they usually have four members, but from time to time, someone will have to drop out and be replaced. So She-Hulk has been in the Fantastic Four. Power Man has been in the Fantastic Four. Medusa has been in the Fantastic Four. There was, in fact, at one time a new Fantastic Four that had none of the original members. And it was like Spider-Man, Hulk, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine or some shit. (laughs) 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 Sorry, every time somebody says Ghost Rider, I'm just like a sullen Nicolas Cage off to the side going. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, every every team at some point is going to deal with this. You know, I think Green Arrow is like the trope maker, maybe because I don't the JSA had lots of members come and go like the Justice Society back in the day, but they never really talked about it. And, and hmm. Roy Thomas kind of made a DC Comics career going back and trying to figure out when everybody left and why. <laughs> They've got a real retainment problem in this <laughs> workplace. <laughs> like we I got to get to the bottom of this. Well, uh, there there were some wellness violations. We'll we'll talk about Miracle Low later, probably. <laughs> anyway, the final trope uh, that we have to cover, which surprisingly doesn't come up with anyone else in the team. Usually, superhero teams are lousy with this. Is the dead parents origin story? Oh um, yeah, 
Yes. Uh, dead parents. Quack, quack. Nice. You gonna turn of- that to a ringtone? <laughs> yes. If this were a next wrestling fan episode, that would be the that would be the the episode title. Dead parents. Quack, quack. <laughs> Uh, lots and lots of superheroes have lost their parents. Many of them lose their parents in the course of their origin stories. You know, either you start as an orphan or you're an orphan by the end. We didn't really get into that kind of backstory with the other members of the zoo crew, but we yeah. do get that kind of origin with Little Cheese, and he does lose his dad in his origin story. So this is a thing that happens constantly. I mean, to the extent that it's permeated popular culture. Like, what what are things about superheroes? Certainly in the top five on the family feud board is dead parents. <laughs> Do you have thoughts about these uh, these members of the team from Fastback, Yankee Poodle, Rubber Duck, Little Cheese? I like that some of their powers are just kind of... It's like how sometimes when you're writing your signature and you just kind of like go, ah, fuck it, like halfway <laughs> through and it's just like... Look, I'm the, I'm the one holding the pen. Who who are you going to believe? Me or you? Me or you? Oh, hey, you're 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 preaching to the choir. Try writing W-T-O-N in cursive. It's just fucking anarchy. No, 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 no. And then I've got uh like I-N-N-E-Y, and it's just like it's just like after that first N, it's just like, eh, and we're gone. Um just with little loop on the end. But I like that there's such a willingness to go. Well, this is what they do. And they're like, well, how does what can they do with it? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like, when, <laughs> why are you asking? What are you, a cop? <laughs> and that periodically throughout the comics, it'll be like, I wonder if I can, which is, I I have seen that in other comics where <laughs> it's mm. lampshading to the audience. Gosh, I wonder if this is a power I have. And it's like, I bet you do. It would be a surprise if you didn't, but we're asking the question. <laughs> I think Yankee Poodle might be the most memorable for me in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, like the most immediately intuitive character to grasp. But I do think I like Captain Carrot the most. We didn't even talk about her powers because they don't fit like a no, superhero trope. Weird powers. It's yeah, animal shoots... magnetism. <laughs> That's right. Animal magnetism is what she calls it. And she shoots stars out of one hand and stripes out of the other. And like one of them attracts and one of them repels. And so, yeah, it's a it's a very cool. Like I I don't recall having seen something like that that predates her. And it gives her a reason to have the patriotic gimmick, despite mm-hmm. not really being so much that kind of character. And the stars thing is so fucking stupid because it's just like shooting. It's like. Oh, it's like pink sugar heart attack. Yeah. It's just like pink, 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 pink. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Okay. So now now having introduced ourselves to the characters, let's talk a little bit about what happens in these comics. We're not going to, okay. again, do a big breakdown, but like the first issue of this comic, like it comes out of the insert in New Teen Titans, right? So like Superman goes to the funny animal world. That was fun. And then he meets Captain Carrot. And then immediately, first issue of the series comes out and it's like, it's everything you need to know. This is a crash course in, in DC Comics. On the cover, Superman, first of all. This is a Superman story. He's core to the DC universe. Also using Superman to launch a new character. Mm. Time-honored tradition. He also showed up when um, DC did their Masters of the Universe comics. What? He also showed up in Eternia. What a dork. <laughs> okay, another trope. Quack, quack. Yeah. The peril cover. We don't see as much <clears throat> of this nowadays. But... Back in the day, 
oftentimes comic books would have covers with superheroes in peril, like on the mm-hmm. on the uh, cover of Captain Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew number one. There is Superman, who is neither Captain Carrot nor a member of the Zoo Crew, tied to like this slab with kryptonite <laughs> chains. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, y- you want to show like back in the day, superhero in mortal peril on the cover of your comic. It gives urgency to the comic. I got to pick this one up. Superman might die in it. Mm. And then everyone will, uh, in the future will always ask me, where were you when Captain Carrot and his amazing Zoo Crew number one hit the stands and Superman fucking ate it? And I was like, oh, I was a fool. I never picked it up. <laughs> also in this issue, the concept of the team book, which you're familiar with because you listen to Tighten Up the Defense. And so you know the yeah. Teen Titans, you know the Defenders, uh, which is not a team book, but it's Wait. a non-team team book. Oh, uh, oh yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah, okay. Not a team. Totally not a team. Hashtag no. not a team. But yeah, the team book all the way back from like Justice Society back in the Golden Age a classic like you've got all these different heroes some of whom can move comic books and some of whom can't let's put them all together in a team they have a book together and you get the the team interaction you've got all these characters and it has like like the added value like all your favorites here in one place and then you get to like instead of just this one character talking to themselves or their dumb sidekick all the heroes get to talk to each other and have like not necessarily distinct personalities although here they do but uh, certainly they get to bounce off each other. You know, the team book is like a very different beast from solo comics. It's almost like um, tag team wrestling versus singles wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Like you can move back and forth, but the the beats are all different. Well, I mean, isn't that what happens in the first one is you get everybody's origin story and everybody references that. And it's like, oh, man, I guess now you get to listen to my origin story. <laughs> and it was. Remind me of some episodes of Titan of the Defense where, like, you have to go back and revisit that one time where they went to the Grand Canyon and everyone talked about their origin stories or, like, looked into Mm -hmm. the fire and thought about it. And then whenever they needed to fight somebody, they were like, no, no, we'll all fight separately. And then they're like, no, wait, as a team. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Tag team cohesion. So important. Yeah. This is is a real connection, I think. Comic books do a better job than than wrestling generally of this because in team books, the, the book is dedicated to the idea of the team. And so it's it, they can carry forward the narrative premise that the team has to work together to succeed. Whereas in, in wrestling, the show is not a tag team show, even if the match is a tag team match. And so you have other kind of, you know, narrative physics interfering with mm-hmm. the idea that like the better team should win the team match. Oh, yeah. But team books do a great job of this. The Justice League cartoon from the DC animated universe did a wonderful job of this because it had existing characters in Batman and Superman who had had their own animated series and was then able to like take those characters through a transition to the team format. There was a great episode of Justice League where they talked about like Superman has this like savior complex, like they're training together and it's like Superman is under the impression that every hit he takes is a hit someone else doesn't have to take. And it's like, <laughs> Superman, you've got to stop throwing yourself in front of everything. <laughs> like, you know, we need you to, to do things. Um, they're, they're, we're all superheroes. We do not need to be saved. Um, so the team book and, and Zoo Crew is like nothing if not a superhero team book. It, it, it checks every box. Also, I don't know if you're familiar with like lots of editorial footnotes. What was your experience I... of those? I'm a little bit familiar with them. Well, I'm, I'm, were there a lot in Squirrel Girl? 
There definitely were some in Squirrel Girl. Squirrel Girl some. takes it to a different place, I'd say. We, yeah. ha- we have a relationship with the creators of Squirrel Girl in a different way that we yes. do with, yeah. I've definitely encountered a few, I think, in the times that I've appeared on Tighten Up the Defense. I fucking love them so much. They mm-hmm. make me so happy. Although, I will say, whenever I told Hub I was going to do this, he said, oh, Roy Thomas? He's a wordy motherfucker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, God damn it. Roy Thomas, shut the fuck up. Except hey. give me more of the little footnotes. The footnotes are fun. That brings us to our next trope. Quack, quack. <gasps> Roy Thomas. <laughs> he's um, a trope. He uh, He's hugely important. R- yeah, Roy Thomas is like such a singular comic books creator. So he was the first editor-in-chief of Marvel after Stan Lee. To me... You could make a strong argument that the Bronze Age of comics starts in 1972. Okay. Because it's the year when he takes over editor-in-chief position at Marvel because Stanley becomes the publisher. Also, it's when Roy Thomas takes over um, writing duties on Fantastic Four from Stan Lee, who's been writing Fantastic Four since number one. So, like, I think it's with, like, number 126 or something like that. Roy Thomas takes over. Roy Thomas is, is an ascended fan Oh, oh, that's right. Hub was telling me he's like, that is his greatest strength and his worst like weakness is that he loved the comics of his youth. Yeah. And and if it hadn't been him, it would have been somebody else. That's the thing. Like not to in any way diminish him as an individual creator, but in terms of like the epochal change of like moving from Silver Age to Bronze Age, at some point, the kids who grew up reading these comics and had that personal relationship with them, had to start writing them. It was bound to happen eventually. Yeah. And uh, Roy Thomas's like his his very quick ascent, taking over that editor in chief role at Marvel. He has quite different legacies, I would say, in Marvel versus DC. In Marvel, he's like well known as editor in chief. Like he was involved with like an adaptation of Dracula. He was instrumental in getting the Star Wars license. Um, which Jim Shooter has identified as like something that saved Marvel. Like Marvel maybe would have gone out of business without the Star Wars license. Under his leadership, like he took over Fantastic Four, which was the flagship of the company. What else? He did Tarzan. He did Conan. Yeah, a huge influence at Marvel in like kind of changing the company's approach to a lot of things. And Mm -hmm. also like just it was it was a shift in in the era. Whereas in DC, Roy Thomas is like Mr. Earth 2. Right. He's like (laughs) he's the guy who loves the old characters. And so while he did a little of this in Marvel, like the invaders, the idea of the invaders didn't exist in the Golden Age comics. They're Golden Age characters, but they weren't a team. And Roy Thomas made like World War Two era comics that made all those characters into a team. He did the same thing in D.C. with All-Star Squadron, where he did this like I love All-Star Squadron. And it's like this sprawling series that brings together all the heroes of the World War II era that DC has control over and <laughs> makes it so like in the first issue, there's this whole thing like FDR is a character in his own right in All-Star Squadron. Oh my God. And like after Pearl Harbor, he like assembles all the superheroes of America into this sort of loosely organized, loosely militarized group called the All-Star Squadron that exists parallel to the Justice Society. Actually, I have a quote here. From fake FDR? Uh, a quote from roy thomas in an all-star squadron letters page i do like the letters page okay so this is roy thomas 
from the February 1983 letters column of All-Star Squadron Volume 1, Issue 18. Quote, as for what Roy himself, myself, is trying to do, we like to think an enthusiastic all-star booster at one of Adam Malin's creation conventions in San Diego came up with the best name for it a few months back. Retroactive continuity. Has kind of a ring to it, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, it's my grandfather. Like, that you, Roy Thomas, you gave me so much so that that way fandom could have good things. Yeah, Roy, Roy Thomas popularizes the term retroactive continuity because he is obsessed with going back and being like, okay, between issue 14 and issue 15 of All Star Comics, our man leaves the team and Hawkman becomes the chairman. We need to write a <laughs> we need to write a series of stories that explain how this all happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as to how this motherfucker ends up writing Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, I truly have no idea. Really? He must have just thought it was a fun idea. I mean, there's a love of the genre that shines through that is distinctly yeah. Roy Thomas. But it is weird for someone who is such a prominent writer to also have this weird thing to his name. Like, I was looking at his Wikipedia page earlier, uh, looking at all these dates and stuff, to quote from Wikipedia. Among the comics characters he co-created are Wolverine, Vision, Doc Samson, Carol Danvers, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Ultron, Yellow Jacket, The Defenders, Man-Thing, Red Sonja, Adam Warlock, Morbius, Ghost Rider, Squadron Supreme, The Invaders, The Black Knight, Dane Whitman, Nighthawk, Havoc, Banshee, Sunfire, Thundra, Archon, Kill Raven, Wendell Vaughn, Red Wolf, Red Guardian, Damon Hellstrom, Brother Voodoo, and Valkyrie. Mm. Not listed. Captain Carrot and his amazing Zucre. <laughs> <gasps> wow. Yeah. Huge figure in comics. An essential part of the Bronze Age of comics. Also, somehow, created Captain Carrot. <laughs> <laughs> um. More tropes. Yeah. Signature exclamations. Ah. Leap and lettuce, says Captain Leap Carrot. Leap and lettuce. They all have them, too. Like, all the members of the zoo crew have signature exclamations that relate to, like, like, Alley Cat Dabber does mystical ones that refer to the names of cat foods. Also, flashbacks, you already ah. mentioned, uh, especially to origin stories. But, like, the idea, yeah. like, we're going to flashback to what happened in previous issues or, like, core parts of our character. Um, alliterative names. Ah. Um Rodney Rabbit, Peter Porkchops, Felina Fur. Yeah. Oh my God. I remember also. I these are not the case for this one, I guess. But I know that DC has a propensity for like the last name that's also a first name. Mm, yeah. 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 Which I'm like, ooh, ooh, such good, yummy names. They are. They're really. They're really good. I remember. Long ago, I was just having a stray memory from being like, I don't know, a preteen maybe mm-hmm. and having a conversation with a guy on like uh, uh, an online. It was like the zero hour mush. And we were talking about like writing an amalgam comics fanfic where we mixed Steve. We mixed Doctor Strange and Batman mm-hmm. and talking about what his real name should be because Stephen Wayne sounds too much like Steve and Wayne like they're two guys. Ah, <laughs> uh, strange bat. St- uh, d- strange bat. Yeah. Well, I mean, the real amalgam character was Doctor Strange Fate. Which is pretty oh. good. Um. So strange bat is mm, okay. 
Well, but I just like a bat that's like kind of a weird, a bat that's wearing a Dr. Seuss hat. <laughs> it's better than Strange Man. That, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want to keep a fucking eye on that guy. Oh, that, if anything, more terrifying than Batman. Imagine somebody right up in your face like, I'm Strange Man. <laughs> like, I know, come on. <laughs> Other, other, other tropes. We have so goddamn many in the first issue. Um, well, like, yeah. Tell, please tell me what you know about multiple worlds in the DC universe. I know that in The Flash and in the CW shows that there's multiple worlds. I don't know how many there are. I know that sometimes people will, like, go to other ones and be like, oh, it went differently in your world. Uh, you know, we have, we have a museum for a thing that we didn't have. I have to ask you. Yes. They must. They must have it. Do they have the cosmic treadmill? Maybe. The cosmic treadmill is the classic way that the Flash travels between dimensions. Oh. Gets on the cosmic I treadmill probably. and runs, and then it moves between... Yeah. I mean, we, we only get the basics in the first issue, but we, we do get the idea, like, there are two different worlds, and one of them is, it's our, like the DC Comics Earth that we know where people are people. Then there's this other world where people are funny animals and the characters travel between them. That that mm-hmm. kind of like, at least that much is clear from issue one so that we understand we're not fucking children here. We can't just write a comic about funny animals. These funny animals exist in a specific subcontinuity of the larger DC Universe continuity. Yes, I know there is that sometimes you get team-ups of a bunch of different versions of a particular character from a bunch of different Earths. Okay, well, that's good enough for now. That trope is marked Multiple Worlds, part one. Also, recurring supervillains. Did you know Starro before this issue? No. Starro. <laughs> Big starfish motherfucker with like <laughs> an eye in the middle. Um, yeah, the eye was very good. Starro, a classic. He, I mean, he, the, the JLA's first villain. Oh, really? Um, and a villain who comes back again and again. He looks he, like something Squirrel Girl would be like, come on, dude. Very much so. And that is how he's used. Like, you you may have noticed if you were paying any attention to, like, the 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 composition, like, the, the overall sense of these. Like, there is a particular thing of, like, all the members of the zoo crew fighting Star and, like, fighting his own, his different separate arms. Yes. That is an homage to the JLA um, cover where that happened. And that is one of those images that you see repeated again and again in comics. Like everybody has done an homage of that because it's like one of the classic comic book images. And for that reason, Starro, like there will always be Starro, even though he is such a silly Silver Age idea. I like him. Yeah, Starro's great. Uh, he's, He's really fun. Like putting starfishes on people's faces. Great in the Silver Age, great in the Modern Age, great in that uh, uh, comic that I read on Ehentai the other day. Like <laughs> every, anytime you need a, a starfish to mind control someone, you can count on Starro, any context. Also, another trope I just talked about, <clears throat> commonly referenced stories and images you're going to see again and again in DC that are touchstones. One of those is the JLA's first adventure. Um, continuity follow-ups. <clears throat> did, you, did you notice when Starro has to explain like how he got here? It's such a comic book thing. I remember him starting in on his big thing and everybody being like, what? 
another one. And I was like, yeah, this is the traditional villain monologue. I, I recognize that part. The villain monologue. And, and also, I thought it was funny that he had like a throwaway, like, you know, I fought the Justice League. And then I, I also fought Aquaman in a series of events that no one remembers. And anyway, I got no, dismembered. No, I did. I did like that, too. There was a lot of the I was the jokes were very funny to me. There That's, was one in particular that I God, what was it? Yeah, this was not what my Vulcan ears heard, but Starro, the conqueror, to be precise, destined master of this universe, overlord of this cosmos, and future sergeant at arms of every Kiwanis club in Rhode Island. <laughs> That's so fucking charming. It, it charming is a great word for this series. It it truly is. And part of the charm is the attention to detail. Like, Starro fought the Justice League. So Roy Thomas is going to come correct. He's not going to just be like, hey, it's a Starro. He's like, okay, first I did this, and then I did this, and here's the footnote to the, you know, issues of Adventure Comics where I fought Aquaman. So if you go back there, you'll see that one of those ended with one of my arms being cut off. Then that went through a space rift. That is how I am here now. QED, I am a real starfish, and I am capable of being present in this scene. <laughs> And, uh, that along with the jokes that's if you have those two things you have you have zucro oh yeah comic book science <clears throat> we get lots of it limestone defeating starro oh, yeah. we get like oh superman talking about his quote-unquote kryptonian energies and how they gave <laughs> like they combined with the meteorite if there's two things in comic books two main principles of science is radiation and combination so it's like it's a radioactive meteorite and it touched Superman, combined with Superman's Kryptonian energies, <laughs> then if it lands in your carrots, then your carrots become super carrots. And if you eat them, <laughs> then it'll put a, a metal hat on your head with ear holes. Mm. Comic book science. Oh, gold kryptonite. Ah. You got the different kinds of kryptonite in this. This isn't even 101. Like, we're a step further into, like, oh, there are other kinds of kryptonite. I yes. knew that there were other kinds, but I never remember what any of the other ones do. I believe that gold kryptonite typically can take away Superman's powers permanently, whereas red kryptonite uh. takes them away temporarily, but also can have a, a bunch of different other abilities. Like red kryptonite is the weird one. Um, Just makes him super horny. Yeah, there's there's a, an arc from the 90s where they take red kryptonite takes away his powers. But then, yeah, like sometimes it does other stuff to him. There was a kind of kryptonite that made him gay once, but only in like a throwaway joke. Oh, um, cowards. <laughs> um, launched, I'm sure launched a thousand fanfics, though. Also, the final panel of the comic, we see the whole team standing together and Captain Carrot comes up with the name Zoo Crew for the team. This is the team origin story. Another trope. <clears throat> All the heroes have their independent origins, but the team has to have a reason that it got together. And mm -hmm. so, like, every member of the Justice Society or the Justice League or the Avengers have their own origin. But they also have a team origin of that thing that happened where they all had to team up. And then at the end, someone was like, hey, we should get together to combat menaces. Oh, that's why Avengers is the best of the movies. It's yeah, it's the one they were building toward because people are excited to see the independently established heroes get together. Um, yeah. Not every team book is like that, like uh, Fantastic Four, New Mutants, that kind of thing. These are um, the original X-Men. These are characters who didn't independently exist before. But what we typically see in that case is that the team has an origin. And then later we get the individual origins. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun way to do it. And also we get 
I already mentioned like Roy Thomas is in many ways kind of synonymous with the Bronze Age of comics. Mm-hmm. We also get a little bit of Silver Age here, <clears throat> seeing like the origin of the JLA, um, you, you Starro, who is like an iconic Silver Age villain. There's a, there's a lot of stuff here that points back to the Silver Age, even as this is a Bronze Age comic that is con- kind of contrasting itself with like, now we have to deal with, you know, today's modern world. <laughs> Rova Barkett is out there interviewing superheroes. So so we're already situating ourselves as like this is this is another wave of superheroes from like the JLA who are from a simpler time. I want to talk for a minute because because there's so many here to choose from. But you mentioned to me that you were affected by the Gardner Fox bit. Yeah, I was. I, I had all kinds of soft feelings about it. Let me introduce to the to the listener what we're talking about. And then I want to hear you talk about it. So in issue 14 of Zoo Crew. The thing is that Rodney Rabbit, uh, Captain Carrot's secret identity, he is a comic book writer and artist. And one of the books he writes is Just a Lot of Animals, which is like a funny animal JLA equivalent. <laughs> we find out that Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew takes place on Earth-C of the DC Universe. On Earth-C-, the comic books that Rodney writes about the just a lot of animals are reality. And so the just a lot of animals come from Earth C minus to Earth C and meet the zoo crew. And as they're trying to sort all this out, they go to talk to the person who created the just a lot of animals on Earth C, Gardner Fox, who here is a regular, like who is a, a fox. That's the context you need. Bob, please tell me what this made you feel. It made me feel so happy because I remembered there was, I think it was the Defenders, I want to say, had to team up with um, the Avengers. And then they split up to go do a thing. And Hub was explaining to Corey that that was a Gardner Fox thing. And like that's a traditional structure that he used and a way of like subdividing that story and making sure you get interesting combinations and different kinds of fights and all the other thing. But the thing that made me so excited was the fondness, Mm. like just the going that everybody loves him. And mm-hmm. also that he's written a billion other things. Like he's written smut, I think, among yeah. other things. Like he's written everything. And I don't know how he would have had that time to do that, but was doing that on top of, I guess, writing quite a few comics. But no, what made me happy was just that to see him be so special to Roy Thomas. Mm, um yeah. But also to know, oh, he's not just special to Roy Thomas. He's special to everybody and that everybody's just kind of agreed. There are certain people who are canonized, you know, they are that important. They are part of our founding, like our patrons who brought us these things and, and established that this is how we do things. And whenever everybody sort of agrees and has positive, warm feelings about that person, rather than, as you know, literature does, a certain amount of bitterness and hostility. It's lovely because comics seems to be created by people who love comics and love the people who create comics. Literature doesn't have that problem. Yeah, he, and he's particularly important to this story because, you know, you can sort of place Roy Thomas as like, the Bronze Age guy who brought in a lot of Golden Age ideas. 
Gardner Fox is like a foundational figure of both the Golden Age and the Silver Age. Uh, from his Wikipedia page, quote, he is estimated to have written more than 4,000 comic stories, including 1,500 for DC Comics. That's in addition to all his novels and all that stuff. Um, yeah. He is the co-creator of Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, the original Flash, Hawkman, Dr. Fate, Zatanna, the original Sandman. He was the first writer who teamed them up in the Justice Society and later recreated the team as the Justice League. So that's like defining the Golden Age and defining the Silver Age and putting together the Justice Society and the Justice League. He also, in the 1961 story Flash of Two Worlds, created the idea of the DC multiverse. He created oh, the idea wow. of multiple Earths, and he has a specific conception of it that they vibrate at different frequencies. And so there are two Earths, or many Earths, that all exist in the same place, but vibrating at a different frequency, and so they don't interact. And so if you change your vibrational rate, you go from one Earth to the other, which is why the Flash can do it mm. on his cosmic treadmill. Mm. And uh, so it's important here that they talk to Gardner Fox because... Yeah, in real life, he is the one who, and in fact, he is mentioned in The Flash of Two Worlds because he also came up with the idea, another trope, <laughs> the idea of mutual fictionality in DC Comics where- Oh, that! I yes. didn't know Gardner Fox came up with that! Yeah, like, it, for himself. I mean, he has Flash say, hey, I'm going to go look up this Gardner Fox guy because this is my real life, but apparently this dude named Gardner Fox has been writing it as fiction in comic books in this world. That's lovely. Yeah, yeah. And so that's why we have like, you know, Captain Carrot writes the Just a Lot of Animals comic, but Just a Lot of Animals comic is real on Earth C minus, just as in the mainline DC universe, we later see like decades later, DC superheroes can go to their local, you know, comic book shop and pick up an issue of Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew, which is fiction on their world, uh, even though it is reality on Earth C. All that comes from Gardner Fox, who also as you pointed out, in addition to writing, I think, like the third ever Batman story, in addition to being like at the foundation of all this other extremely important DC comic stuff, he also wrote lots of novels, um, including Lady from Lust. And yes, Lust is an acrostic. Yeah. It stands for League of Undercover Spies and Terrorists. Oh. Uh, he wrote under the pseudonym Rod Gray. See also the man from Orgy, says Wikipedia. Um, he also wrote entries in the series Cherry Delight, the Sexecutioner. <laughs> <laughs> but this is this is just one of countless. Like he wrote fantasy books, he wrote sci-fi books, he wrote every goddamn thing. An immensely prolific author was like a huge personal library, just like a person who loved every form of knowledge and wrote every form of fiction. Yeah, he seems extraordinary. And I one of the things that also really delighted me was that Roy Thomas got to write fan fiction mm -hmm. of that person, not just like, you know, use his stuff and sort of homage, but go, yeah, but I want him in my story too. And yes. like, that's so sweet to go, it's not enough. I, I need him in there. Was Gardner Fox, had he already passed away by the time this was written? Not yet, but he soon would. I think he was maybe four years away. Um, but yeah, yeah. So really interesting, like cross-generational stuff. Just reading this one comic, because it is so self-aware and so much in its genre, you really get your like golden age, silver age, bronze age, all very clearly delineated with like two key creators from across those three eras. 
It made me so happy. I had all of the, this is a love letter feelings. And anytime you get to see a creator make something that is, it's like they're not looking at anybody else in the room, you know? Mm -hmm. They're just going, this is for you. This is because you gave me this. And I want to say thank you in the language that you gave me. It's so beautiful. Oh, I also want to shout out their Z-shaped tower, like the Titan's Tea Tower. It's <laughs> the stupidest design for a building. Yes. I, I will. love it. I mean, arguably not as stupid as the taken very seriously T-shaped tower for the Teen Titans. Yeah, yeah, that's much worse, but it's still pretty <laughs> bad. Yeah. That's and that's parody stuff that like again you get you get everything you get the team vehicle right they got the zoo cruiser mm-hmm. which goes on like all terrains they got the team HQ you're introduced to like cosmic beings right that bear the timekeeper who is like so bored watching time that he begins collecting moments and like fucks up the whole time stream mm-hmm. um, and then is turned on to like nerd memorabilia as an alternate hobby that's how the timeline <laughs> is saved you mentioned the like split up into squads. And solve all the different problems around the world structure. It's uh, often yeah. used in like Justice Society, Justice League. We see that in Zoo Crew. We get a danger room uh, in uh, issue 10 when they're fighting. Uh, that's actually how they're introduced to A Wolf. We mentioned like Peter Porkchop's old nemesis, A Wolf. He's a plumber now. And so we get a danger room sequence, and then Pig Iron accidentally takes out the plumbing and they have to call a plumber. Mm-hmm. We get a crisis story, uh, which was not yet a huge deal in DC Comics, but was about to be. Um, oh wow the the big multi-world crossover thing they were on the eve of crisis on infinite earths which was going to collapse this whole continuity but then lead to an endless series of new crises well you know yeah once you have had one can you stop you definitely cannot you also read a little of the later stuff the whatever happened to captain carrot the metafictional side story that happened in a couple issues of new teen titans i fucking love that (laughs) <laughs> you liked what ha- whatever happened to Captain Carrot. Do you want to talk about this story? I I just because uh, I don't know anything about Watchmen. I've never read it, but I was like, oh, it's being grim and gritty, but it is not the thing that is supposed to be grim and gritty. So it's not really grim and gritty, even though it's grim and gritty. No, I didn't know what was happening. I just liked that it was this paper thin oh no a character's been murdered we have to get the old team back together and that everybody's split off and like doing all these different things and then it was a betrayal by somebody you know i don't want to give spoilers here i'm sure oh no uh, spoil it by all means (laughs) alley cat alley cat davra killed little cheese and everybody's like but why she's like because i'm a cat (laughs) <laughs> and cats hate mice. How can you not understand me? And it was like, oh, yeah, huh? <laughs> like, I forgot that that would be a thing. No, I, I found it endlessly fucking charming that it was taking. Okay, you know those DC Hanna-Barbera comics that they did not that long ago? Uh-huh. And also the DC, I think, Looney Tunes that were you know, an exploration of uh, let's play with genre a bit. And you get that like 
Batman and Elmer Fudd and things like that. A fucking classic. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's fucking amazing. I was like, this is the greatest comic ever. <laughs> um, but that you have this attempt to play with these characters and put them in a new context. This isn't even that because it's, which is the thing that makes it so special because it's not actually taking them and putting them in a new context. It's just sort of like, we took this thing. They're all still funny animals. Like we have not made any of it grim and gritty, except the fact that somebody has died and then like, Somebody did it on purpose slash uh, the president isn't to be trusted. Something, something, something just change like the stuff on the outside. But like the characters are still very samey. Like, mm-hmm. The designs are still very samey. None of it looks grim and gritty. Yeah, it it is a very delicate parody. And it, I should point out that it happens in the context like these two Teen Titans issues where it takes place. They're from like mid 2000s or something like that. And they're comics that are being read by a character who's in the Teen Titans, which is a, you know, a fully like serious book by this point. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of blood. I mean, it was about Brother Blood. So, yeah, he's got he's got a brand to think about. Mm. I think that their role here and like the the Watchmen parody, just as with the original series of of, uh, Zoo Crew, it's not in any way to attack something. It's not really that kind of, of parody or satire. It's to acknowledge something and implicitly affirm it. Like, I think the original Zoo Crew is like, comics are silly and that's fine. You don't need to feel bad about caring about comic books, but they are silly. They remain silly, even though they are becoming, you know, more serious. In the same way, I think this pastiche of Watchmen is like, Watchmen is a piece of literature, but Dr. Manhattan is no more inherently serious than captain carrot like you do understand that these are silly characters like the idea of superheroes remains silly and that's fine you can you can do a serious story with them it's okay just like let's not pretend that we have you know completely scrubbed the goofiness off of all of this that that is part of it to drag it back to wrestling i feel like if wrestling tried really hard to scrub off everything that was dumb about it and just tried to tell, like, then it, you would just have fight scenes in movies and that would be the worst. I don't yeah. want to watch that. That's bullshit. Yeah. I think that there is a there is a place for it within the universe of wrestling. So, like, if you look at something like um, Bloodsport or if you look at something like, um, you know, all the various kinds of, like, sort of worked MMA style yeah. pro wrestling they have a place but i also think like you love to see a guy like john moxley going and you know appearing on blood sport and then getting cursed by dan Housen. like that's what you yeah. want you want like y- you want all of this to exist just as it does within comic book universes where it's like you know captain carrot exists albeit in a different world in the same universe as like the shit that's happening in vertigo comics at the same time mm-hmm it all is still there. You know, you're only ever, as they used to say about Vertigo comics, that it was like a long bus ride away from the DC universe. Like it's in the same continuity, <laughs> but like it, it, it's a different vibe. And yeah, Captain is. Carrot is the same way. Like, yeah, he exists. Like Superman remembers there is a Captain Carrot at all times. You know, somewhere in the back of his mind when Superman is getting beaten to death by Doomsday, he knows that there is a Captain Carrot out there somewhere. But that's that's fine. Like things can have different tones. It's all right. How did you end up reading zoo crew 
Um, I picked it up from Quarter Bins. My my early comics collection was from the Quarter Bins at the local comic book store. So I didn't I didn't read modern comics when I was young. I read older comics. Uh-huh. And so Zoo Crew is one of those. Like I didn't have the complete series, but you know, I'd find issues in the in the back issues. Same with All Star Squadron, a lot of different stuff. And um picking it up in a partial way. I was also picking it up at a time when like you know, Captain Carrot was was gone. Because it it after the original series and the Oz Wonderland War, it was gone for a good long while until like I remember going to that uh same comic book shop actually many years later to pick up the Teen Titans issues where Captain Carrot came back. I picked up those when they were new. So yeah, it was a childhood comic for me and it was back issues when I was a child. And then, you know, as a young adult, it showed up again in modern comics and I, you know, jumped back in and I didn't read any of like the multiversity stuff or anything. Captain Carrot later becomes a member of like Justice League incarnate and is part of this like multiversal Justice League. (laughs) And uh, I think, I think gets used for tragedy in a way that is like so counter to the character and so funny given that like the zoo whole zoo crew came back in like whatever happened to captain carrot which is such a parody of like modern grim and gritty comics and then you know fast forward a decade and it's like you know the darkness from beyond time perpetua along with like all like one million evil versions of Batman in the death metal universe. They killed all the funny animals and Captain Carrot is crying. Uh, that's so fucking stupid. No, leave Captain Carrot alone. <laughs> also, I, you were telling me off mic and I forgot, but how did they make sure at, at what point in Crisis on Infinite Earths did they step aside and go like, hey, by the way, the bunny is fine. Oh, I, you know what? I don't even know when they established that, but I know that, so in Crisis on Infinite Earths, the idea was like, this shit's gotten too complicated. People can't understand the comics. And so we're going to have a big event where like the monitor and the anti-monitor are like these cosmic beings and they have it out. And in the end, all the Earths just get combined into one Earth and everybody lives there. <laughs> How about that? Here's, here's a novel idea. What if all of our stories about what happens on the planet Earth, it was the same Earth. Mm. But as a result of that, a lot of other Earths, like Earth-S, the Shazam Earth, get combined, they get folded in, and Earth can't be a funny animal Earth. So since Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew was done by this point, like you're just kind of get left to assume that Earth-C was wiped out. Um, but then they later talk about how like, no, 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 it's not, a, it's not an alternate Earth. It's like a parallel timeline and so it, that's different. Like, don't worry. The zoo crew are not all dead. The anti-monitor didn't fucking eat <laughs> the zoo crew off panel. <laughs> um, hey, Chris. Yes. If you were going to be a funny animal, what kind of funny animal would you be? Uh, I've been told by one very cute girl who was a furry that I would be a fox. And so that is always my answer. Huh. I was about to say fox for me. Oh, for you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate. Probably hmm. not. No, it no, might be maybe. Funny. All right, we got to do our regular features. We got a format to think about. We got okay. a million more tropes we could talk about, but instead, let us move on to the sights, sounds, and feels of superhero comics. Bob, what did your eagle eyes see in Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew? The letters page. Oh, you read the letters page. Yeah, yeah. of course I read the letters page. I always want to see, is it like somebody who went on to become a creator? Is it a name I recognize? 
Um, I did not recognize any. Probably because it's a little too late. But the furry art that they just fucking <laughs> flat out published furry art. They're like, here's this pinup of a furry. And I was like, <gasps> Farrah Foxette. And it's a little terrifying. Like, her face looks kind of scary. Mm-hmm. But I was so goddamn thrilled to see that they were like, look at this. Some person made this and it's really good. And it's like, oh, they didn't know what that was yet. Mm, some of them didn't. No, yeah, some of them didn't. Some of them did. But yeah, that pleased me a lot. All right. What about you, Chris? My eagle eyes saw in issue number four, the first page has this uh, thing where like Captain Carrot and his secret identity is reading this newspaper and like there's a bunch of exposition and also the credits of the issue on the newspaper mm-hmm. in, the, in the text under the fold. Like one of like the lesser stories is comic book letterers form union, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which I thought was a very funny joke. It's very simple. That's lovely. Bob, what did your bat ears quote unquote here in these comics now to, to bat ears this category will be reserved for sound effects and dialogue even though you can't okay. literally hear them armadillo mm. such a good line well that was a heap more fun than threatening one of them automated tellers heck i feel so good i'm jealous of myself and i was like <laughs> oh i want to be able to say that that life goal i want to be i want to be having such a good time that i'm jealous of myself i feel like i've seen you that way i think you're (laughs) you're 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 well on your way to your armadillo dreams (laughs) what about your bad ears chris all right okay so the art and writing duties on this comic varied a little bit like it went back and forth you know sometimes it was roy thomas but sometimes roy thomas was busy and somebody else would write an issue or part of an issue in issue three uh i don't know who wrote the rubber duck and pig iron segment where they're on the cruise ship i want to give you the context because there's a line here the context is they're on this cruise ship they're on the lust boat which is a parody of the <gasps> love boat there's a d- very deliberately sexy like foreground picture of a squirrel in a bikini on the first page scott shaw the uh-huh. artist includes his character Pointer X Toxin, the furry analog to Hunter S. Thompson, who would later, who would feature in like underground comics that Scott Shaw was involved in. And Rubber Duck explicitly hopes there's no like superhero stuff to be done on the cruise ship because he just wants to keep flirting with all the ladies. Mm-hmm. So this is the context, okay? We're, we're, we're already slightly body for a funny animals comic at this point. Okay. In that context, please consider the following. When the giant Frogzilla snatches up the captain of the ship, Captain Dunbar Dodo, with his tongue. Frogzilla makes this villainous declaration. And Rubber Duck says, boy, he's something special. And then, you know, Pig Iron is like, why? Because he blah, 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 because he's threatening the captain. And Rubber Duck says, no, quote, did you ever try to talk with your tongue wrapped around a dodo? Wow. I j- it just, it is... It feels like a filthy line in context. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, I if somebody like put something to me like that, I'm going. <laughs> yeah, it's too not like it's, you had better buy me a drink. 
yeah, it's it's beyond the realm of plausible deniability for me. Like, it's not quite like the editor's going to shut this down. But that whole segment is like notably on the line much more than the rest of the series, I would say. This brings us to what our inner furries felt. Bob, what did your inner furry feel? I kind of liked the timekeeper. Oh, really? The timekeeper? Only because the timekeeper was like, I put all your little friends in these like hourglasses. It just because I wanted to get you alone. And like now, now it could just be just us. And I was like, oh, that sounds like fun. That's the kind of attention you want from a super villain. Like, a super yes, a super villain who has captured all of your friends in bottles, and then you're like the last one, and there's like I have special plans for you. Yes, yes, exactly. What about your furry heart? <laughs> I mean, obviously it's Alley Cat Abra. I just I just love Alley Cat Abra, and also because of those feelings that I have about Alley Cat Abra, mm-hmm. I did not remember that in Captain Carrot and His Amazing Zoo Crew, the final arc, mm-hmm. the final crisis crossover, Alley Cat Abra after the events of whatever happened to Captain Carrot in in Teen Titans, rejoins the team and reveals a retcon that Little (gasps) Cheese was actually killed by an evil version of Alley Cat Abra called Dark Abra. Oh, no. Which is great, which means she, because she's, look, I cannot be in a very serious relationship with a female cat who killed a friendly mouse. But (laughs) if her evil twin did it, then it's fine. So I appreciate I the right. I think you could 100% be in a relationship <laughs> with a cat that killed a nice mouse. Maybe I just have more <laughs> faith in you than you do. No, no, that's that's some evil shit. That's not that's not like an innocent that's not innocent hijinks like pushing a pig off a precipice. That's some dark shit. You don't kill your you don't kill your little mouse friend. Oh my god. Yeah, for details on that, go listen to <laughs> Bad Choices on the Hard Choices Patreon feed where Chris admits to murder. <laughs> All right, uh, we're almost done with this bonus episode, but before we move on, uh-huh. it's time to award our Lawrence Olivier Award for Outstanding Animal Pun. Who who wins your Lawrence Olivier Award? Hometown, like I I gotta give it to Albuquerque, just because mm. I was like, oh, that come on, thank you, thanks, but I had big feelings about Los Antelopes. Hmm. That's good, too. Yeah. All right. All the place names. I fucking love a place name. All right, Chris, your Lawrence Olivier Award for Outstanding Animal Pun. During the team's first night or whatever at the the new, like the Z Tower, the new mm-hmm. Zoo Crew headquarters, they're planning a party and Yankee Poodle is Im- imagining the catering that she's going to order because she's like going to order fancy pants catering. And one of the things she wants to order is Terrier water. Oh, yes. I saw that. It's a great that, dog pun. So that good. That's a really good dog pun. I I liked that a lot. All right. Megan Bob, I took you through all this. I, I, may, I introduced you to Captain Carrot and his amazing zoo crew and threw them to the DC universe. Overall impressions. Thank you. It was Thank nice. You. I'm not sorry I got in the car. And I drove through all those pages of Roy Thomas's words. Mm. Could have done with a little bit less origin stories. 
Not my favorite, but no, it was lovely. I don't need to love something to love it. I need to know that it's loved. Mm. I get a lot more out of that. Um, Either something that is extremely loved or something that no one gives a fuck about. These are the things <laughs> that I I truly cherish in this world. Um, that's why my TV viewing patterns are what they are. Um, <laughs> but the amount of love that there is, the amount of love that you had for it really carried me through a lot of it and opened me up to, oh, there's this little island of thing that everybody is sort of like, no, it's special, it's ours. Like it's, I mean, we had talked earlier about sort of mascots and it feels like in a very bizarre way that superman is certainly the flagship kind of like the dc character Mm -hmm. but it feels like maybe captain carrot might be the like if you know you know kind of mascot yeah one of a few similar properties in DC. Oh, where for sure. I'm sure there's a Green Lantern who's the, if you know, you know, <laughs> mascot. <laughs> sure, North. There you go. Uh, but yeah, one of a few where it's like, this is not what we put out in front of the shop window to like attract new people to comics. No. This is like comics at their most like pure and dumb. And we fully embrace it from inside because like we're already in on this. Um, yeah, you know, we we love it for everything that it is. And I do think that that's actually a role increasingly like as comics have become more meta in in all these kind of crisis events that increasingly deal with like different continuities as stakes in the story. Uh, Captain Carrot and the Zucker have come to represent that of like sort of the innocence of comics and like sort of the persevering like we've just decided to love and care about this r- regardless of anything else. I think they they do represent that love, which is present in a lot of the creators and is the reason that they continue to invest what are in many cases their considerable prowess as artists into something where the foundations is like silly disposable stories. Thank you so much. This is this has been great. This has been so much fun putting together, re- revisiting these comics, seeing them through like fresh eyes. As always, it is a delight to do this or any podcast with you. Oh, and with you. Next time the listener hears us, I guess we'll probably be talking about wrestling or something. Yeah. All right. Now, what what is the what is the Zucro equivalent of yah? Um. Meow. <laughs> I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of comic books. Oh, excuse me. There is a script for this. Oh, you already wrote one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. Why did I think you didn't? You still don't know me after all these episodes. (laughs) Okay. I swear to God, baby, I remember our anniversary. I'm so sorry. Okay. okay, I gave you more this time. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm Megan Bobcat. Meow. <laughs> I was hoping I had a much better meow. That was a sad meow. <laughs>
Oh my God, is John Cena Superman? No, they used to call him Super Cena during yeah, that era where like every match was him getting beaten down and then like no matter how much the odds were stacked against him, he would always win and everybody hated it. <laughs> Do people feel that way about Superman? I mean, I guess not. They make the comics. Some people say that Superman is boring. I think by and large, those are people who don't engage the character enough to understand the way that he is used. I mean, certainly there are lots of boring Superman stories just by pure volume. Oh, yeah. like there, there are lots of Superman titles. And so there are many, many Superman stories over a huge length of time. He's the oldest superhero. Um, and so there are tons of boring stories. But um, wait, is he really the oldest? I mean, superhero is a is a <laughs> it's a it's a category without a clear boundary. But I, I would say more was older. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, um, okay. the thing is that the idea of a superhero as distinct from other things mm-hmm. is defined by Superman. Oh, like, OK. You know what you would like? Why is Doc Savage not a superhero? Why is uh, Hercules not a superhero? Mm. Uh, why is the Scarlet Pimpernel not a superhero? Um, <laughs> he is kind of a superhero. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can make a, an argument for a lot of characters. You can say like. Okay, you've got your Tarzan over here, and you've got your John Carter over here, and like you kind of put them all together, and like I we, feel we, like now I'm like no Scarlet Pimpernel was because he was a doofus in a mask, like in a disguise doing doing things. He had a lot of the elements, yeah, but you wouldn't have considered him to be his own genre of thing, except in retrospect with reference to Superman. Okay, all right, that's the, I'll that's buy the that. Thing. And so that's, There's that's a why musical of it. <laughs> it's very sexy. You know who's the sexiest character in it? The Who? evil guy. I I could have guessed. Um, yeah, I think his name is Chevalier. But yeah, so Superman, people consider him boring, I think. But <gasps> um, <laughs> my brain just remembered one of my favorite songs from that musical. And I was like, oh, shit, I could go listen to that later. <laughs> it's a song about how men used to wear all the fancy clothes and that peacocks are like the you know fanciest animal in the animal kingdom and that is a man that's very important to be a fancy man 